What does it take for you personally to realize that you need something? That you have a need that needs to be filled. The Poser or Honda family historically, it kind of dates back initially. Well, I drove a Ford Ranger and then I married my wife and she drove a Honda Accord that would eventually be given to her sister who drove a Honda Accord. And her mom drove a, a CRV, and there were multiple Accords in the mix. And over the course of time, we've just stayed with Hondas for the most part. Very pro-Honda family. Uh, my wife, in 2012, we were actually... Yes, that's the math. That's how math works. In 2012, we as a family were going to go to Disney World. We also had... Uh, it had been brought to our attention that we were about to have another child, Magnolia, and she's great and fantastic. But she did force us to move from uh, my wife driving an Accord to us needing to buy an Odyssey. So I bought her a 2012 Odyssey. The If you are unfamiliar with how this works, you are young and spry and you're driving a Civic. That begats the uh, the Accord in the language of the New Testament, which will eventually provide for you the, the Odyssey. Where we were an Odyssey family in 2012. A little bit of time passes and we make the shift in 2018 for her to get a brand new Odyssey. And because I've pastored this church for almost seven years now, I know that I'm not the only person who has dealt with something like this. This is a very Odyssey-driven culture. <laughs> if you look in the parking lot, it is as if Honda looked at us and said, Yes, that's what we're coming after. Those are the people. There was a shift from 12 to 18, though, and that was numerous new gadgets and devices that were in the van that were not in the 2012 van. There's a backup camera in it. I don't want to sound like a get-off-my-lawn kind of person. But you don't realize you need that backup camera. As a matter of fact, I fought it deep down in the crevices of my heart. I don't need that. I don't need your backup camera. Thankfully, Hope drives everywhere, which I prefer. But I don't need that camera. Doesn't matter how many times I've wrecked around town. I don't need that camera. It doesn't matter that when I had one accident in particular, people would say, Did you run into someone or did someone run into you? I said, It was nothing. I was leaving my life group and backed into a fire hydrant that removed the bumper. It doesn't matter. I, I, I don't need that. I don't need it at all. Until you're made aware. You don't see that there's a need. And sometimes, even with awareness, you don't acknowledge or recognize your need. You bumble around in darkness. Someone flips on a light switch and it changes everything. You don't drink enough water and your legs cramp up because you need water. What we're going to look at today in the scriptures is this. Uh, just a central idea to give you an overview of where we're going. Through the scriptures, God makes us aware. If you are unfamiliar with grace, you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're walking through a series on the spiritual discipline of interacting with the scriptures. And we have encouraged you, as January has taught us that we should resolve to do new things, we want to push us toward being people of the scriptures, interacting with God from his word, there are reading plans that are on a fancy QR code. I don't know how that works out in the internet world, but it's there. There are various reading plans uh, printed out on papyrus for you if you need that. 
But through Scripture, God makes us aware. Well, what are the things that He makes us aware of? Well, we'll see those from the text in just a few moments, but let's look together. Hebrews chapter 4, picking up with me in verse 12. For the Word of God is living and effective. Your Bible may read active. Both of those are great. And sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in this time of need. As we walk through this text, we'll see a few things taking place. In verses 12 and 13, we will see that Scripture makes us aware of our sin. Secondly, in verse 14, we see that Scripture makes us aware of our need. And finally, we see that Scripture, in verses 15 and 16, makes us aware of His work. One more time, aware of our sin, aware of our need, and aware of His work. So you start verse 12 and it's talking about for the, the word of God. Now leading up to this point, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 is all about the nation of Israel and their lack of the ability to find rest when you look to the book of Joshua. Now they had sought for some type of help, some type of, of, of rest, and they continued to seek after things, but it kept coming up short. And you look to this, and it talks about the Word of God and what that is. Now, what is it? We have to ask that question when we're getting together at a place called Grace Bible. We have to at least talk about what the Bible is. Do we use these words, the Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, interchangeably? And just for transparency, we're not sure what the writer knew at this point about the rest of the New Testament. We have no idea what this person who wrote this knew. It doesn't mean it's not authoritative or that it's not inerrant. It just means he only knew what he was interacting with as the Lord inspired him to write this down. True fact, that's a double. We're not even sure who this person is. We don't know anything. Now, there are lots of arguments, and if you would like to dig deep into that with well-established theologians. Ask me if you would like to dig deep into that on YouTube. Stay away from me. We're not sure who this person is. When it says the Word, is it talking about the Old Testament? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then it gets a little out of control in my head. Well, yes. But when you read through the Old Testament, it seems like it's not just talking to you about the Old Testament. The Old Testament, when you read through it from Genesis to Malachi, 
It's taking you somewhere. It's not that the Old Testament is missing a piece. It's that it's taking you to a person. And the whole of the Old Testament is showing you the story of a nation that wants to have a king even though that king won't fulfill all of their desires. That's not just the story of Israel. That's the story of us. We want to be our own king even though we cannot fulfill all of the things that we want in our own power. You then get to the message of the New Testament and where it's taking you in that New Testament. Now, if you were with us last week, we walked through Isaiah chapter 40 and we talked about the enduring word that will last forever. And a part of that passage is prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. That is Isaiah's prophecy. Prepare the way of the Lord. And if you are a John the Baptist fan, which you should be because he dressed awesome and ate bugs, that's exactly what's being done. He yells, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what's taking place in Isaiah. That's what the whole Old Testament does. Prepares the way of this Messiah. And we see that the full message of what is being put on display that it's going to be fully and completely seen and revealed in the person of Jesus. Now, there's this weird myth, and you'll hear it in conversations, when people are talking about faith. Now, we chat about faith a lot. It's a big part of our Christian experience, faith. And the myth is that faith is a set of ideas that you believe If that's the case, then everyone, regardless of their view of God, has some type of faith. And in the grand scheme of things, I can see what's being said there. But in reality, faith is not just a set of ideas that we believe. According to one theologian, he says it this way, Faith is the true story of all creation. The entire universe. It is a true tale of love, promise, and it's a story of costly rescue. Our faith is not in that we have a set of beliefs. Our faith is in the person who is the culmination of those beliefs. He's the one who delivers. He is the one who provides hope. He's the one who restores. Incredible! If that's what the Word of God is, the full story of Jesus from the Old Testament to where we meet in the New, how does it work? How is the Word of God supposed to work in me and in you as we try to live our lives? How does it work? Well, it uses a pretty intense word there in verse 12. Notice with me. The Word of God is living and effective. It's not static or stagnant. And it is sharper than a double-edged sword. Penetrating or piercing as far as the separation of the soul and the spirit. When it says it pierces, the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing out to us that it's going beyond my natural recognition of my condition. It digs deeper. It goes further. Left to my natural devices, I will not be aware of what's actually taking place in regard to what causes pain, what causes struggle, what causes suffering. I've entered into the stage of life that I mentioned last week where things don't supposed to, and by things I mean me. 
I say weird things all of the time. In a conversation with my wife, who I love the other day, I told her, uh, some, we were having a conversation about breathing, and I said, oh, of course, that's a major conversation in the greater CPAP community. <laughs> I have plantar fasciitis, and I went to the physical therapist. If you don't know what that is, that means your foot just hurts all of the time. And it's, it, nothing helps it. Nothing at all. Tylenol doesn't help. Dairy Queen blizzards don't help. Nothing helps. I'm talking to Hope, the smartest person that I know. And, and she recommended that I go do this thing called cold laser. Now, I thought this meant sticking my foot in a thing of bluebell. That's not what's meant by cold laser. When I get to the physical therapist, it's still warm. The laser is warm. What he means by cold laser is this. It won't cut off your foot like a laser blasted from Cyclops in the X-Men's uh, visor. The doctor, I'm talking to this physical therapist, and his name is Nino, and he's really nice. I'd be nice, too, if I was going to charge me what he charged me. But <laughs> you're so cool, Chad. The doctor said that the therapy... This therapy was one of the few treatments that went immediately to the problem. He went as far as to say, I naturally cannot manipulate your foot to do what this laser will do. We have this notion of modifying our behavior, or maybe you've expressed it, this a meritocracy. There is not enough manipulation on our behalf that is going to deal with what the scriptures are going to do in you. It's going to cut, it's going to pierce bone and marrow, soul and spirit. So when you hear us point out the value of scripture, it's because God is going to do something in you through his word that's revealing for you the person of Jesus that you could never, ever do on your own. And it is difficult for us to hear that as people who love to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and overcome whatever needs to be overcame because we forget that in God's economy, we don't have bootstraps. We don't even have hands. You can't do it. Hebrews 4.12 points out to us that the scripture helps us discern the intentions of our heart. We don't know how distorted our best desires are by sin. And there has to be a standard by which we see those things. The standard is Jesus... And the way that he expresses himself to us is through the word that reveals Jesus. Verse 12 starts with this phrase, the, the word. Now, no, let's look at 12 and 13 together. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. The scriptures are what God uses to come after our wicked hearts. 13. No creature is hidden from him, 
But all things are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. When you see verse 12, and it starts with the word of God, that is the exact same word used when you get to the end of 13 with the word account. It's the same word. So what you're seeing here is we have to give an account, and that account cannot be based on our own account. What's going to give direction to the way that the life of a believer should be lived is not me thinking that I'm better than this person, smarter than that person, more well-behaved than this person. What is the measurement? The measurement is Jesus, and the way that we see that measurement is through the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures are going to help us to know that. And for you and I, as people who claim to follow Jesus... We can fall into this weird pattern where we're doing what everybody else does just to be a well-accepted person in this community. Whether it's your community at Dow or BASF or the school where you work or the school where your kids go. We want to make sure that we don't get too out of control. We're an acceptable person. For the believer, consistent day-to-day, week-by-week interaction with the Word is going to show you who you really are. And God's going to use His Word, the story of that costly rescue that we mentioned earlier, to show you that you have a need for Him. For the believer, this is doing two things simultaneously. It's going to impact and it's going to influence. Those two things are happening here. When you are interacting with the Scriptures, it's impacting and it's influence. If you are a believer in Jesus... When you interact with the Word, it comes after the sin in you. That's why you shut the Bible pretty quickly sometimes. It comes after the sin, and that sin, it it wants to be there. Simultaneously, it influences. It does damage to your sin, and it shapes where you're headed. 13 is terrifying. Because the Word exposes us for the sin that's in every one of us. No, no creature. Are you a creative, creative beings? Raise your hand. As y'all and your dogs and those cats you decide to own. No creature is hidden from Him. But all things are naked and exposed. To the eye of him to whom we must give an account. I grew up in a world where they were showing us rapture movies. And and for whatever reason, in these rapture movies, the best thing they could do to... They would depict this scene where you were standing in front of the God of the universe and the best thing that he has is like a 27-inch tube television to show you your problems and sins? The 70s, man, it was wild. This text is talking about us being exposed before God. Hands out. Trying to see if there is value in what we do and how we do it. This is mortifying 
because evidently the story of Jesus has told as told through the Bible it tells me about who he is and it's going to tell me who I'm not the story of Jesus from the first page of scripture to the last tells me that he is the rescuer and it tells me that I am in desperate need of rescue. I'm on the, uh, this website the other day looking at polo shirts with this newer company that I'm a big fan of. But they don't have brick and mortar stores. You just have to trust them. And at the bottom, but they guide you though. Now I'm looking at this picture of this guy. He's just swole. Like, man, it's not fair for someone to be cut up like that. You can just see abs through his shirt. And at the bottom of the picture, it says, Anthony is 6'2 and wears a large. Chad is 5'11 maybe and does not. (laughs) Scripture shows us the divide between who Jesus is and who you are. So if no creature is hidden from him, naked and exposed, and you're going to have to give an account, what account are you going to give? And if we allow it to do what the Scriptures are intending to do, it's going to put you at the place where you say, my God, literally, what am I supposed to do? All of us have to be there. What am I supposed to do? So Scripture, it makes us aware of our sin. Also, Scripture is going to... In verse 14, it makes us aware of our need. What do we need? Well, it's not a what, it's a who. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Well, okay, do some work. What is our confession? Your confession is either that you are enough or you're not. And every person in all of creation is going to give that account. Do you believe that you're enough? And if your answer is yes, then it's not. Let us hold fast to our confession. So we either confess that we are enough or that He is. Either I can, get deal, I can deal with my sin, or He will deal with my sin. If you don't believe that Jesus is the one who needs to deal with your sin, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You may have watched the Texans game yesterday. They played a really good defense, and they obliterated them. I think they just scored again. If you ever watched a football game, there are certain guys that have C's on their shirts. That's the captain. The captain plays a crucial role in a football game because he communicates between all these various people on the field. He's going to communicate between the players and the officiating staff and his coaching staff. There will be interaction. And if he was not there, there's no one to represent those different sides in this discussion. When the passage talks to us about Jesus being our great high priest, what it's pointing out to us is this. 
Jesus is going to speak on your behalf to God. And He is going to speak on God's behalf to you. He is the intercessor. He is where God is with us. He is where we see this meeting together. And verse 15 goes as far as to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The high priest is a major portion of the Old Testament teachings. But over the course of time, they had removed themselves so much from the normals that what they did, it felt cold. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has to unpack so much about, you've heard it said, but I say. We don't have a high priest who is in the ivory tower unable to, remove, to, to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have a high priest tempted in every way that we are but he doesn't sin without sin. So think about this in regard to Jesus. His compassion and his mercy and standing for us the fact that he can be our go-between is based on a hard-earned human experience. So your struggles, he struggled. Your difficulties, those were difficult for him. If you've ever been hungry, he was hungry. If you've been thirsty, he was thirsty. Jesus, without sin, dealt with the difficulties of a fallen world and the hardships of a sin-shaped world yet was without sin. Hebrews is intentional from page 1 to the last page to talk about the importance and the validity and the value of how sinless Jesus is. So we have this great high priest who says to you and me who are mortified in our naked and uncovered and exposed situation... You can go to God, not because of you, but because of me. And in these moments, we begin to think, but you just don't get how dumb... Look, you don't know how messed up my life is. You don't get it. I've, I've dealt with such... I've made really bad decisions. I went through this really hard divorce... I got out of control with my boss the other day. Or I, I really did mistreat my employee. Jesus takes our sin and he crushes it in being crushed. Because of that, because your sin has been dealt with, we can hold fast to our confession that Jesus is our only hope. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness. What gives direction to that? His word gives direction to that. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church family, I, I just, I want to encourage you as much as I can for us to be people who are interacting with God through His Word this year so that we will see how immeasurably good Jesus is.
His mercies are new every morning. He never stops being for you if you are a believer. He's good. Hebrews chapter 4 really concludes a larger section of Scripture that starts in chapter 3 verse 1 where it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So every time that we sit down with the Word and we interact with God through His Word and we see the story of Jesus as told in His Word, we are given direct line from God, from His Word, to understand what it means to consider Him and what it means for my life to be in need of His, for Him to be my hope in the face of despair. Consider Jesus. For us to be people who consider Jesus, the Scriptures, and consistent interaction with them are necessary. Are necessary. So if you're not in something, and I can, I can define something in multiple ways. If you don't have a discipleship relationship, a D group, or a life group, or a Bible study, or maybe a combination of maybe all three, or two out of three, because Meatloaf taught us two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> Find something. Otherwise, you're left to figure this out on your own. Do you know how easily we distracted we are? Those, accountability, those accountable relationships keep us moving in the direction of being people who interact with God by the power of His Word. And as we do that, we see Jesus, who has fulfilled the greatest need that we have. Our high priest, who took our sin upon himself so that we could stand right with God. Each week, as a, a family of faith, number one, I invite the believing members of Grace Bible Church. We're going to come to the table in a moment. Secondly, and just coinciding, not even secondly. Secondly is a terrible word. If you are a follower of Jesus in this room, when we come to the table, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you believe that Jesus is your only hope, that he has died in your place and resurrected for you, offering you life in the place of death, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we as a family come to the table, you're our family as well. So come get the wafer and take the cup and Jared will guide us in a few moments. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you would like to talk to me about what it means to place your trust, your faith in Jesus, when everyone moves, I want you to move. I want you to come talk to me. If you're thinking to yourself, is this the portion of the whole thing where he tries to get me to be a Christian? The answer is yes. I would love for you to be a Christian if you're not a Christian. I'll be at the front of the room today. I'll be over here near the table. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I'd love to chat with you. Also, if I can pray for you, you don't need me to. The Lord hears your prayers. Because Jesus is your great high priest. But if you just, could, could you just pray for me, Chad? I'd love to. I'd love to. Because I love you and I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful that we get to walk through the difficulties of life together with a great high priest who has united us together. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and the power of it. Lord, I thank you that you are transforming people, that you're coming after sin.
God, that you are impacting what sin is in us and directing us as to what it means to move away from it. God, as we gather together, as a, have gathered together as a faith family today, I thank you that we get to come to the table to be reminded, Jesus, that you are the great high priest who has done everything necessary for us to be right with God. You were like us. You, you, took, you walked through life and dealt with temptation, according to this text. Yet you were without sin. And we are thankful for that. So, God, for the believers in this room, encourage them. For the non-believing people in this space, God, I pray you will encourage them by calling them from death to life this morning. Because, Jesus, you are the only hope of every person on the planet. We ask this in your name, Lord.